good to be here. Pastor Frankie, good to see you, always. Great to see your smile. Uh, Pastor Mark and Ashley, such an honor to be here again. My pastor is Pastor Daryl Huffman, okay? This man's invested in my life like I can't even tell you. So you understand as Pastor Mark's communicating what I am to him, Pastor Daryl is to me. And, um, you know, again, we're where we're at today because we love the Word of God and we love to get around people who can invest in us and pull our gifts out. Um, you know, we're not asking anything as pastors with the people that God's given us responsibility to help grow in the things of God that we ourselves don't do. And so, um, you know, you want, we, we just want you to understand that we're just a part of the body like you. We just play the role of pastor. And we're all in this body together to do something great and significant. Amen? I said, do you believe that? So it's great to be with you. For us, we always count y'all every Sunday uh, because this is Anchor Faith Church, Valdosta, one church, two locations. Amen? And um, we believe that. So a lot of times, you know, people say, well, how large is the church? And uh, for years, you know, we just never really included the numbers. But my wife's like, why are we not telling people, really, if they're asking, if they need to know that, that, you know, we've got a whole other location here that is thriving and doing something great. So um, we're doing something significant. And between all the work of God, we're, we are touching the world. I said we're touching the world. And make no mistake about it, just because you locally live here, Anything we do locally in St. Augustine and then move out from there, you're a part of that. Because it's the same vision. And uh, I'm excited to be a part of people that just genuinely love God. Amen? Now, there's no problem for me to allow my wife to, you know, uh, greet everybody. Because Pastor Mark said I could go till 1030 tonight. So, you know, that's almost three hours now. And um, y'all ready for this? Just that like, you know, you just bought your popcorn, all right, and you got your little Diet Coke and your goobers, and you're sitting down to watch Avatar or, you know, maybe uh, the Titanic or some three-hour movie. That's what's going to happen. Lord of the Rings. We'll watch all three Lord of the Rings series tonight as I preach. All right? No, I'm just kidding. We won't be here that long, uh, but we be, we'll be here long enough for God to do what he needs to do. Amen? Because here's the thing. You don't do a conference or you don't take the extra time to expect it to be the same as Sunday. Now, it doesn't mean that Sunday's any less. And I'm going to tell you right now, the greatest place to grow is Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday. Consistency and being plugged into the day-to-day out. That's what causes you to become the most successful. But there are times that God allows a little extra time because he wants to download a little extra in you. He wants to do a little extra thing. And it's in those times that, man, it'll get you over into the next level. And I believe that this five-year anniversary is that. You understand in business, I'm an entrepreneur to some degree uh, because, you know, we are down in St. Augustine. We're in a, uh, a mall that we are uh, in the process of uh, purchasing. And so there's a part of it of this 178,000 square feet of facility on 25 and, a, and three quarters of an acre that the church will be a part of. But then we'll also have businesses. Why do we have business? Because the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. And this gospel of the kingdom needs to get out to people. And so if anybody's going to pay someone rent, they ought to pay the church. And so there's a part there that we will do. But not only that, we want to be able to raise up people in business, give them an opportunity to lease a place uh, at a less rate so that they can get their business up. Because here's the thing, in business, it usually takes five years for you to go through some process before you actually get established and are successful. Most businesses are going to either succeed or die within five years. 
The same is basically with church. When it comes to planning a church, if you within the first five years, it's going to determine whether it's going to be successful or not, most of the time, okay? So for us, when we planted Anchor Bay Church in 2004 down in St. Augustine, I would always say uh, to the congregation, I said, we're a beginning church. I would never say we're small because I knew that wasn't the heart of God, and I knew that wasn't what we were. Because God desires that how many would not perish? None. That means there's a whole lot of people right here in Lowndes County, in Valdosta, that God wants to see in the kingdom, which means we've got to add to these seats. So we can't say, this is great, I love a small church. Listen, God loves a church that allows people to continue to keep coming in. He loves it so much that they get added daily. You hear what I'm saying? So we always have to enlarge ourselves to want to receive more, which means we can't get comfortable where we're at. We got to see this thing with the wall busted out. We got to see moving the kids somewhere else. We got to see, we got to take the whole thing or we're finding another piece of property that we can go somewhere else. You understand? We've got to get beyond where we're at because God wants to touch this whole place. And man, if you're just watching the news, Jesus needs to come quickly in some aspects, right? The world needs Jesus. Well, guess what? He gave them you. He gave them you because you're the body of Christ. You're his representative. You're the one who's supposed to show them him. Hallelujah. And what an awesome work we have to do. So we always would say we're a beginning church. We're a beginning church. And then after five years, I quit saying we're a beginning church. Why? Because we finally had some level of establishment. There was only one thing, one obstacle that I've yet to, to step over or overcome in its totality as a planning a church, and that is actually purchasing property. That is really the last thing that a person, when they go in and start a church, the minute they buy property, there's a level of legitimacy that takes place within that community, and they kind of say, okay, they're going to be here. And we, I've been there for 12 years now, and that hasn't happened. But you understand, I've tried to get to land, I've tried to buy land, but the Lord's just never worked it till I got to this mall that wasn't for sale and said, this is where you're at. But they're not selling it. In fact, they said they've never sold them all. But then he tells me in his word in Psalms 24, 1, he says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Amen. And since he's the king of glory and he owns everything anyway, he has a way of transferring things. He has a way of getting it into his name so that you can do what you need to do in that place. And there came a time that all of a sudden we were having some conversations and they said, well, we've never sold them all. But if we sold one, it'd be this one. We'll praise the Lord. And so now we're in that whole process uh, of going through it by faith, believing God that we're going to receive this thing. We're going to be able to walk into this thing. We're talking with them right now about some things, and God's just doing miraculous stuff with us. We're calling those things that be not as though they were. Amen? So we're just like you, just doing a work right where we're at. All right? So tonight I want to talk to you about times God. We're going to be talking about God's kingdom anointing. Amen? In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, I want to lay a foundation here because I've seen some things in the Spirit that I believe we need to do tonight. But uh, you understand, there's no reason in doing anything unless you understand why they, they are being done. Uh, a lot of people, you know, can get into services where all things are taking place and then they leave saying, wow, that was awesome, but they don't even know what took place. And if you don't know what's taking place, then you can't hold on to it. You know, if you get something but don't know what it is, what good is it? You hear what I said? If you get a gift and you don't know what, it, what it's for or what's the purpose for it, then what good is it? If I gave you a key but you don't know which car it goes to, what good is it? If I gave you a key and you don't know what door it goes to to unlock, what good is it? 
All right? You have something that you possess that's giving you access, but if you don't know what it fits into, then it really does you no good. But in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 31, it says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for the word of God, the engrafted word of God, which is able to save our soul. Father, tonight I pray in the name of Jesus that we would receive divine revelation and impartation by your word. Father, I thank you as we launch out and look at a significant marker of being uh, pastors Mark and Ashley being in this location for five years, for them uh, uh, extending the work that you started with us back in 2004. By us just following the plan and will of God, we thank you that we are going to get greater understanding that if God is with us, who can be against us? And so, Father, I pray at a time that fear is prevailing, at a time that disunity is prevailing, at a time that all kind of chaos is is happening in our world, the church has to rise up and recognize there's a greater one with them. And so, Father, I pray tonight that you would uh, illuminate their spirit. You would renew their minds. They would recognize, and when they walk out of here, they could walk out of here with a spiritual chest bowed out a little bit more. They could walk out here with their head picked up a little bit higher. They could walk out of here knowing it doesn't matter what happens. I've got a greater one on the inside of me, and there's nothing that can't be accomplished as long as I'm with him. And so, Father, we praise you and thank you for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Um, It says, what shall we say then? If God is for us, who shall be against us? Now, who is not limited to this realm? Who is not limited to this realm? But it says, whoever's against us. Who can be against us? Who? That means man, but it also means demons. It also means Satan. Who? Doesn't matter whether it's in this realm you can see or whether it's in the unseen realm that you can't. It does not matter if God's for you, then who can now, that also implies that it doesn't mean they won't try. In fact, this scripture really lets us know that they will try. But what good will it be if God's with you? But there's a conditional statement in here or, or word that is determining about God, and that is if God is with you, which means what if he's not? So we could reverse it. We could say it this way. Um, Um, we could say it this way, what shall we say to these things? If God's not with us, whoever can stand against us? But if God's with us, then they can't. So you've got to stay connected to God. If you're not connected to God, you cannot be guaranteed victory. If you're not connected to God, you cannot be guaranteed victory. Victory. So it's very important for us to actually understand what it means, because Paul was not just saying this. Because again, uh, let me just say this from Matthew fifteen three. There's going to be a lot that will start coming out. Listen, in Matthew chapter fifteen verse three it says, "Why do you forsake the commandments of God for the sake of your traditions?" And I'm going to be honest with you. There's a lot of church traditions. There's a lot of scripture that people know, but it's wrapped in a veil of tradition or religion, and it actually has no power associated with it. In fact, the Bible tells us that in the end, there will be a lot of people that will have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. And when they mean deny the power thereof, that doesn't mean that they don't uh, want the Holy Ghost. They, that, it means they deny the transforming power that the Holy Ghost brings to renew their minds so they'll yield and submit to the word of God. 
they actually won't allow God's word to change them and their behavior. So they'll look like they're godly, but they actually aren't. Now, Jesus dealt with these people often. They were called Pharisees. Another word he used for them were called hypocrites. And Jesus can identify them. Hallelujah. So we need to recognize that when Paul wrote in Romans, those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, then we need to really learn how to be led by the Spirit. Because we, prior to knowing Christ, maybe were or were were not successful on our own. We can have our own plans. In fact, the Bible tells us man may... Uh, uh, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end lies death. The Bible also tells us that what good is it a man to gain the whole world, meaning everything in the natural but forfeit his soul. So there's things that man can attain to naturally, but it falls short of godliness. And if we're children of God, then we must be led by his spirit and we want to stay connected to him because I'm telling you right now, you're in a world that you're not of and there are things against you constantly because it does not, there's an, there's an outside force, there's an unseen realm that does not want you to be able to model God's kingdom on the earth. He does not want the prayer Jesus asked you to pray to come true. Our Father, not his daddy, but yours and mine. I love that about Jesus. He said, when you pray, pray this, our. He didn't say, when you pray, pray this, uh, Jesus' daddy. Now, again, Jonah's here. And if you go to Jonah, which is Pastor Marcus' son, you know, you can say, um, you know, who's your daddy? And he says, Pastor Marcus. So you say, Jonah's dad. Now, I'm not Jonah's father. Pastor Marcus is his father. So he singly has a father. But when we get born again, our dad is Father God. And Jesus lets that know, lets us know that. Well, if I can talk to dad and dad and I have a relationship and he can work his, his life through me, then guess what he'll do? He'll work his life through you. So he says, when you pray, pray this, our father who art in heaven or who lives in heaven, Hallowed be your name, or holy is your name. Your kingdom, what? Your will be on as it is. So that's for all of us. And the devil does not want God's kingdom, his rule and reign that is consistent in heaven to ever manifest through you in the earth. Because if it does, then everyone would run to this kingdom. Everyone would. Because there's provision, there's peace, there's power, there's victory, there's everything. It's not free from trial and tribulation, but it will always end in overcoming. Because if God be for you, who can be against you? Can I get an amen? All right. Now listen, I don't mind if you talk back to me. All right? You can talk, amen me. Man, if something stirs in your spirit, say something. Amen? Why do we say amen? Amen literally means this, so be it. So if something resonates in your spirit, when you say amen, you're saying so be it. In essence, you're agreeing with that. And you're saying, I got that. I received that, God. Yeah, that's good. Because, man, if you can't agree with the word, you're in trouble. All right? So the first way that we're led by the spirit is we need to know the word of God. Because in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
So in order for us to be led by God, we need to know his word. Now, I'm not going to teach on that, but that's just a nugget for you, okay? Now, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 says this, Therefore, since we received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. We've been given a kingdom that cannot be shaken. When do we receive this kingdom? Well, Colossians tells us that when we were born again, we are transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. We receive that kingdom the minute we make Jesus Christ Lord. Again, the Bible is not about a religious book at all. It's about a king, his kingdom, and his royal offspring. Okay? And I quickly can take us from Genesis to Revelation and prove that out. Because God, when he first made man, he made him in his image, made him in his likeness, and he told him to have rule and dominion. He didn't give him a religion. But, and then he tells him an instruction, you can eat of any tree of the garden, but of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the day you eat it, you'll die. We know that if Adam had never eaten the fruit, he'd still be on the planet today. But he did eat the fruit, which is sin, that's disobeying God. And as a result of that, he loses the dominion or rule that he had. Who did he give it to? The one who deceived his wife, which is the serpent or the snake or the devil, or we call him Satan. And Satan, when he was tempting Jesus in the, uh, the book of Luke, he tells Jesus when he takes him to a high pinnacle and shows him all the kingdoms in a moment of time, he says, I'll give you all this domain if you'll just bow down and worship me for it's been handed over to me. Well, where did he get it? He got it from Adam in the garden. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 calls Satan the God of this world. He's the one who has authority and power that he received from Adam, which was God's son. Now, it's not the son of God, God in the flesh, but Adam is still God's son. Well, when he falls from, in, in, falls from dominion and loses it, then God has to put a plan in place in order to legally get back into the planet because he gave the earth to men, gave them the rule and authority, so he now has to legally come in like a man. That's why Jesus became wrapped in the flesh. He's the son of... Do you understand Jesus saying he's the son of man was more powerful than him saying he was the son of God? Because that's what declared he had legal right to come in and do what he did. Now, we go all through the Bible. We begin to see this is all about national stuff. We see a man named Abram who... Gets a name changed by God called Abraham, and it's the father of many nations I've made you, not religions. From there, Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob wrestles with the Lord, and he gets a name changed to the name of what? Israel. Israel has 12 sons, and they become a nation. And guess what? That nation is in the planet today. Now, think about this. That's still in this earth. It's in this planet, and God's not giving up on Israel. Okay, this whole thing's been about that. From there, God wants to be his, the king in an unseen realm, rule over them. He fights their wars. He overcomes for them constantly, and all he asks is they obey him. That's a simple thing. You obey me, according to Deuteronomy chapter 28, you're going to be blessed. Blessed everywhere. Everything you touch is going to be awesome. And why do you say that? Then all the other nations of the world would look at you and say, my gosh, man, Who's ruling you? And you'd point them to me, and they'd all want to come. But what did they do? They disobeyed him. So other things happen. When you disobey God, you get the alternative to God. God is life. The alternative to God is death. We wonder why our nation's in such turmoil. Because when you reject God, you get the counter. Yet people, because they don't understand our God, and they have falsely been taught that he's in control of every decision that ever makes, 
which he's not. He's in control of his word. But there is someone else in this earth who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And if you reject God, God will walk away from you and you get the alternative. It's called death. Why is God causing all these things to take place? God's not causing a lot of things to take place. Man's calling it to themselves. We want death. We want death. We want death. And this has been the same thing. Adam rejected God. He wanted death and received it. When Jesus was here, they put Jesus before the people, put a man by the name of Barabbas before the people who was into a rebellion, insurrection, and was known as a murderer. And they say, listen, which guy you want? You know the tradition we have. We release one. This guy's done nothing. I don't find anything wrong with Jesus. He's not guilty. He's innocent. I can find nothing wrong with him. I'll release him if you want him. Or you can have this guy. This guy's a murderer. He kills people. He's rebellious. He's against, you know, society. Who do you want? And who did they pick? Joshua said, I present you life and death. And then has to give them the answer. Choose. This is why we have to talk about Jesus. This is why we have to communicate because society left alone will always choose against God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In essence, they always choose death. We'll never end the epidemic that happens in our world outside of Jesus. Can't happen. So we've received a kingdom. Jesus comes back and that's all he preaches about. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, uh, Wise men came to him seeking a king, not a religious figure, not someone who established Christianity. They're looking for a king. Jesus, when he's before Pilate, Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? He said, did someone tell you about me? Did you learn this on your own? He said, I'm not a Jew, am I? He said, your own people and your chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? He said, my kingdom's not of this world. Now, that doesn't mean my kingdom's in heaven, not here. No, what that means is my kingdom is not, does not operate like the world's kingdoms. See, if you study, you understand what he says right. He's not saying my kingdom's in heaven, not here. No, he's saying my kingdom's not of this world. Because then his next statement proves what I'm saying. He says, if it were, then my servants would not let me be handed over to the Jews. Because in the natural kingdoms, if you went and captured their king, the army came to deliver. And Jesus has an army. They're called angels. And I'm telling you right now, they are better than any special forces on the planet. In fact, one of Jesus' angels could come to the United States of America and wipe out our whole military. And we take pride in our military. But according, but you go against, you go against Jesus' guys, and Jesus had the authority to call them. In the garden, he says, don't you know I could call a legion of angels down right now? Man, that would decimate the world. You think nuclear war is bad, let the angels show up. You hear what I'm saying? So Jesus, you know, he's this king. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my, uh, my servants would not let me be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom's not of this realm. He says, so you are a king. Jesus says this. This is John chapter 18, verses 33 to 37. He says this. You say correctly that I'm a king. Now, we've glossed over this a lot because we love Savior Jesus. Jesus came to die on the cross and raised from the dead so that all of our sins are forgiven so that we don't have to go to hell. We can go to heaven. And you know what? That's exactly what he did as Savior. That was his assignment. His assignment. But who he is is Lord. 
Lord's a totally different thing because Lord's not a religious term. That means supreme in authority. Do you understand when all this stuff's said and done, Jesus will look at his children and he'll judge them according to how they lived for him after they were born again and made citizens in his kingdom. Then he's going to have it. That's called the uh, that's called the judgment seat of Christ. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. Then there's another one called the great white throne judgment. And that's for those who didn't make Jesus Lord. And he'll look at them, though he had provision and did what was necessary to save them all. He'll look at them and say, depart from me, for I never knew you. His lordship will be in play. Even though he did what was necessary to save them, but they rejected him as Lord. Hallelujah. So we've been given this kingdom that is not, has not been shaken. And we've got to understand that this kingdom is a government of God. And it works right now in the planet. It is alive and well and is full of... And that authority that comes with King Jesus has been delegated to his body. Okay? Has been delegated to his body. So... Jesus said this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in the earth. Now, when you get born again, you become the body of Christ. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 16. He said, Peter, who, who do you say that I am? Or he's, you know, he said, who do y'all say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And they end up saying, well, some say you're this prophet, this prophet, whatever. He said, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, I believe you're the son of the living God. In essence, he's saying, I believe you're the Messiah, you're the king, you're the anointed one who would come and set up his kingdom and have no end. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my father who's in heaven. And then he says, upon this rock, what? Upon this revelation that I am the Messiah, the king who would come and set up his kingdom and it would have no end, I'll build my church. Now, that word my is very, uh, very significant, okay? Because this is my Bible, all right? Do you, are you all okay with that? This is my Bible. Now watch this. I'm going to put my Bible right here. I'm going to walk over here. Is it still my Bible? Is it still my Bible? Sure, it's my Bible, but it's not with me, is it? Separated from me, it's over there. So again, when we think my, a lot of times we look at that, but that's not how that word is in the Greek. It literally means my of me. This is my arm. You hear what I'm saying? Now, can I leave my arm on this table? I can if I sever it. Right? I can if I sever it, if I cut it off. But, you know, that's, that feels a little different than this. Than Pastor Mark bringing a knife up here and cut it. No, so when we, he says, I'll build my church, he says, I'll get people that are of me. Too often people are like, well, you know, I'm, I'm with Jesus, I'm in the body, the universal church, and they're all by themselves, yet my arm is not left alone from my chest, or my hand, or my elbow. All this stuff works together, and we need to see something, because when we start coming together, something very significant takes place, all right? Paul was always giving instruction to the church. Even when he was writing to an individual like Timothy. He was given some instruction that comes with the church. Meaning, if you read 
more than half of the New Testament, when Paul's writing, he's talking about connection. Even when he talks about to Philemon, it was about his, his slave that abandoned him, but yet was profitable with Paul. And Paul sends him back and, and, and requires that he ask his um, master or the one who owned him to forgive him for running off. And Paul says, he's profitable for me. You owe me your life because you came in the kingdom because of what I preached. Don't hold account to him for running off. He's a different guy now. And honestly, I need him. I need you to send him back. But notice, he would not keep him there until he reestablished the connection that the slave had to go back to the master and establish the relationship of brotherly love because we're connected in a body. Oh, you don't want to hear this. Okay. When he's talking to Timothy, he's talking to him as a young pastor and his instructions about how we keep the body together. Now, you're going to see why this is. Because you as an individual believer in these last days, yes, you can do some things. But it's nothing compared to what we do when we get jointed and fitted together. Now, let's go on and give you some more foundation. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 3. Look at this. It says, how, how could one chase a thousand? And two, put 10,000 or 10,000 to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had given them up. We hear of this all the time. One to send a thousand, two send 10,000. You know what? I'm pretty good at math. And I realize real quick, if one has a ratio of a thousand, two should have a ratio of 2,000. But when God gets in the mix, there's a multiplication factor. One may do something significant, but when two shows up, it can do greater than what one and one could do by themselves. If Pastor Darrell by himself wants to live for God only by himself, he may move a thousand things out of the way. And then I'm over here doing my thing for God all by myself. I may move a thousand things out of my way. And it's awesome. It's great. And we can give God glory. But if I come over here and hook up with Pastor Darrell, all of a sudden his thousand and my thousand turn into ten thousand. We can get eight thousand more things accomplished if we work together than if we stay separated. And this is the great deficit that's happening in our nation is because the church is not unifying under the anointing. We need to get into a corporate anointing. Brother Hagin said this. Kenneth E. Hagin said this. He said, I am thoroughly convinced, although you cannot prove it nor disprove it by the Bible, that as we, that we as the body of Christ as a whole have the same measure of the Holy Spirit that Jesus did. But we as individual members of the body of Christ do not. The greatest anointing of all is the corporate anointing. Now, I believe we can actually get into a little better proof of it. If we really look at it, you could, when he says this, he's saying you're not going to see a scripture that says the church has the same anointing that Jesus had, and it literally say it that way. But yet it's still implied. 
It is absolutely implied. We know that the Bible tells us when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan and he came up out of the water, that the heavens opened up and God the Father said, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove and came upon him and said, He received the Spirit without measure. Without measure. But when you and I are born again, we receive the measure of faith. And we are to grow from faith to faith. Glory to glory. Glory always represents the full weight of God, the measure of God, the fullness of God. Remember when the old covenant tabernacle or or temple was built and Solomon built the temple and he went and dedicated that temple and all of a sudden the glory of God came into that place, the Bible says. And that glory was so thick that the priests fell out. They couldn't even stand in the room because of God's presence was there. And we as individuals are to go from faith to faith Glory to glory. Well, if my faith to faith hooks up with his faith to faith and my glory to glory hooks up with his glory to glory, it isn't just two faith to two faith. It becomes a multiplication effect. And the problem is in the United States of America, because we are a government that is a democracy that gets to pick and choose, we've applied this. In the interpretation of the Bible. Well, now you understand tongues may be for you, but they're not for us. Really? God's not a respected person. Why would he allow people to speak in tongues over here? But all of a sudden, nobody over here can do that. Because the, the enemy wants to keep you divided. He doesn't want us to get in unity. He doesn't want us to become dependent. I don't need you. Why? Because that's the spirit of the United States of America. Independence. Independence is the most dangerous word in the kingdom. Amen. Now, I love the U.S. I served in the military. Make no mistake about it. I'm thankful for our country because this country single-handedly has done more for missions and touching the world uh, for the gospel uh, in the known uh, time frame than history before. But I'm telling you right now, You cannot interpret the Bible through an Eastern mindset. You have to interpret through a kingdom. Now, the reason we don't like it is because there are men, natural people, who have been kings, and they weren't really godly. They oppressed people. But God's not a man that he should. See, when you don't know God, then you put on your human personality on who he is and think he'll rule that way. See, this is one of the reasons why I'm not a big fan Uh, in one sense, of animation. Because they put on human personalities on everything. Right? I have a dog. All right? Now, a dog feels, obviously. The dog has feelings. You know, you bump it hard enough, it may, you know, squeal. It obviously wants to eat. But, you know, it's not a human being. And too often, if we don't watch out, man, we try to treat these animals like they're humans. And then they sometimes want to act like it. Like at, you know, 4.30 in the morning when Tybee gets into bed and tries to get in between me and my wife. I want to say, you, I'm married to her. I'll come over in the morning and bring my wife a cup of coffee and Tybee will come around in and I'll go to lean over to kiss my wife and Tybee wants to get her face right here. I don't want to kiss you. You a dog. She's a good looking dog, but she's still a dog nonetheless. And sometimes we're like, oh, poor Ty. There ain't no poor. She's a, it ain't like Tybee's walking around going, oh, I can't believe they left me. 
Where are they going to be? When will they come? Oh, my life's a miserable mess. Seriously? You don't. I feed you. I get you water. I take you out. I clean your poop up with a poopy bag. <laughs> Seriously. And I got it down. I don't like going out there without my poopy bags. All right? But I still wash my hands. It's a technique. It's really cool. Anyway. But we put human personalities on everything that, aren't, that is not that. And when we do that, then all of a sudden we attribute things to things in error. If you didn't have a great father, and when I talk to you about Father God, you struggle. If you got a bad uh, idea about men, then when I talk to you about God the Father, you associate him as a man, and you know what? You don't want nothing to do with him. You don't think he can live up. If every man's ever disappointed you, you'll assume God will too. But that's not God. No, God loves you. God made provision for you. More importantly, God wants to place power in you so that you can live a life that you could say, if God's for me, then who can be against me? So we see here, one, a chase a thousand, two, ten thousand. Leviticus 26, seven and eight says this. But you will chase your enemies and they will fall before you by the sword. Verse eight, five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand. And your enemies will fall before you by the sword. Now, I don't know what's going on here, but the previous verse said one could get rid of a, could get a thousand gone and two could get ten thousand. But now it takes five to do a hundred and it takes a hundred to get rid of ten thousand. I don't know if carnality has shown up in the nation. I don't know if there's some doubt and unbelief, but I do know this. If God gets in the equation, you'll do way more with him than you'll ever do by yourself. And if we only want to have a relationship with Jesus so that when we die, we go to heaven, I'm telling you, that is not relationship. All right? 25 years ago, last month, on September the 12th, 25 years ago, in 1991, my wife and I got married. This ring signifies a covenant that her and I are one. I'm her husband. She's my wife. There is no one else that we are to participate or have intimacy with or share and be vulnerable and be intimate with like this. And if I would have stood up there and looked at her and her eyes and, and told her how much I loved her and made that confession, right? Marcy, I do solemnly swear to love you and take you and yada, yada, yada you, right? And she does the same. We say, I do. And then the authority says, you may kiss the bride, and you are now husband and wife, right? And then I get her home, and then I don't show up for three years. Oh, let's put it this way. I'll be better. Don't show up for a week. And then a week, and every week I show up, at least once, right? Tell her I love her. But then, you know, as time goes on, out becomes every three months. And then it comes twice a year at Christmas and Easter. Oh, you know where I'm going now, don't you? Then all of a sudden, you know, and I come home and she's like, where have you been? Well, baby, I told, well, look, we married. We're in covenant. Right? I love you. But, you know, I got to work. I got things to do. 
Jesus, come into my heart and save me so when I die, I go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. And yet, we're not in his body. We are not in his church. We're not collecting upon the same place. We're not staying connected with others so the anointing can increase. But I love you, Jesus. Now, the reason I say that is because 1 Corinthians tells us very clearly, the hand cannot say. It cannot say. Say that. Look at your hand and say, you can't say that. Come on, get your hand out. Help me out. Some of y'all got a little, trying to be a little rebellious here. Go ahead, get your hand out. Look at it and say, you can't say to my foot that it's not a part of my body. So you cannot say, well, I'm all right with Jesus, just me and Jesus. There's nowhere in Scripture that it can be you and Jesus. Because when he starts talking about the church and he's talking about individual members within it, he doesn't say, hand, you can't say that you and I can't be by each other. He says, you can't say that someone else that's connected in this body is not a part of the body. You can't live by yourself. Because he says this, the eye, if everyone was an eye, where would the hearing, the ear be? Which means we all can't be the same thing. We all have to be different. We are all different, but yet we all need to stay connected. Come on, y'all with me. Stay connected, man. I'm telling you, we're going somewhere. So, John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says this. You are from God, little children, and you have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. I'm telling you right now, this scripture, most believers do not believe. We can quote it, but it's very difficult to stand on it. Luke chapter 18, verse 27 says, But he said, The things that are impossible with people are possible with, with God. Mark chapter 9, verse 23 says this. says, And Jesus said to them, If you can, all things are possible with him who, who believes. How many things are possible? All things are possible. How many things are possible? All things are possible. Now, Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. I'm going to read this out of the Amplified. Look at this. He says, again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree, harmonizing together, make a symphony together. How many ever been to a symphony? Now, in there, man, I've seen cello solos. They're awesome. But a cello gets in with a violin and gets in there with the tempest drum and gets in there, you know, with some uh, French horns and all kind of other instruments. I'm telling you, it's amazing. And if all of them played their own song, it's a train wreck. Even though individually it may be beautiful. But until they get on the same sheet of music, although it's different notes, it's different octaves, when they all come together, you're like, my gosh, that's phenomenal. And this is what we should sound like to the world, and we should sound like to the devil. Woo, hallelujah. This is what we should sound like. We need to harmonize. Then it goes on about whatever, that's anything and everything, they may ask, it will come to pass and be done for them by my Father in heaven. For wherever two or three are what? What are they? gathered, drawn together as my followers in into my name. There I am. Say, I am. 
I am in the midst of them. God brings the multiplication effect in this, in this capacity. So we see here that all things are possible. I said all things are possible. I said all things are possible. I said all things are possible. If you'll believe. Well, what do we believe? His word. Now, I, I have a great testimony to tell you that happened this weekend. Last Wednesday night, which was a week from yesterday, I went to Anchor Faith Church in St. Augustine, um, had an intention to begin ministering about how to witness to people concerning the things of God, but a situation was brewing in the Atlantic. And if you watch CNN, Fox, or the Weather Channel, it's going to kill us all. It's going to kill our family. It's going to kill our kids. We're going to die. All of us, we're going to die. There's no hope. We're dead. If you stay in the state of Florida, you're dead. If they tell you to evacuate, you're dead. And your kids are dead too. I can show you the video. My gosh. Hallelujah. I thank God that there is a God that reigns above storms. So the Lord spoke to me and says, you need to minister to them. That it's not unusual that humanity speaks to storms or nature. Because Jesus spoke to nature. In fact, every miracle Jesus did was the dominion that Adam lost. And if Jesus restored Adam's dominion to us, then the works that Jesus did, even we can do. Come on now. So, the Lord spoke to me. And we begin to minister on these things. How uh, um, Joshua said, sun, stand still. Moon, stand still. And it listened. He ministered on when Jesus himself got up and said, peace, be still to the storm. And it quit. And they thought they were going to die. You hear what I'm saying? We ministered on these things. How Elijah, one guy, prayed for three and a half years that no rain would fall. And it did not come out of the ground. Now, when you read that, you think, wow, like it was sunshiny days. No, I guarantee you there were cloudy days. There were days that were telling uh, Elijah it's going to rain. Look at that thunderstorm. Look at the lightning. It's fixing to pour down rain. And he had to say, Lord, you said it couldn't rain. You are saying something to King Ahab. It cannot rain. It can't come out of that cloud. And he had to stand. Why do I know that? Because the Bible tells us that the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. Fervent, effectual, not one time. It ain't going to rain for three and a half years. And then he went and played Pokemon. He went and watched a movie. You understand? He went, you know, and, and bought a house. No, he stayed diligent to what he heard. And the Lord said this to me, and anyone that was in the St. Augustine location, and you'll see others that have come. We may have to get more seats out because of tomorrow night. More people are coming. Okay? Um, he said, this is what you believe, that the storm has to stay east. And cannot make landfall in Florida. Now, I know I have authority in St. John's County. Okay? Now, I'm talking about the whole... When we say landfall, let me me, clarify that. Landfall literally means it comes to shore, the whole thing, and goes across land. All right? Because even if just part of it came in, or even the eye, or whatever... We're talking about the whole thing. And Florida has experienced them coming across... So they threw out a few names that this Hurricane Matthew was like. One was Hurricane Katrina. Well, we know what it did. 
Hurricane Andrew, we know what it did. And this is what's coming. So you're going to die. And your kids are going to die too. This is what we're hearing. Now this is what the world's saying. But yet I heard Jesus Christ, the head of the church, the owner of the whole planet, say, believe me that it won't even touch the state. Now that challenged my faith. Because I knew I had authority in St. John's County. There has never been a direct hit in St. John's County since 1964. And since we've been there in 2004, I, if I had the papers, I don't. But there were four storms that came through and we spoke to. And every two of them were supposed to be direct hits. And we spoke to those storms and they never came directly to St. Augustine. They went some other direction, went somewhere else. So I sensed that God was giving us authority over the state. And so I told the church. And I said, you believe God. And you stand and you believe God. Now, you do whatever's peace with you. If you need to go, go. God spoke to me and said, don't leave. I didn't evacuate. Man, my mom called me hysterical. Seriously. See, my, my brother died in 2007, my younger brother. And all of a sudden, she's watching the news and they're going to die. Everyone's going to die. Your kids are going to die. And she triggered my son died, my younger one. Now my older one's going to die because he just wants to stay over there with a storm. It's going to decimate everybody. And so she's upset. And I have to say, Mom, I am a 46-year-old man. I understand what's going on here. I have heard God, da-da-da, go through. She hung up on me. I called her back. <laughs> Mom, I understand. I love you. I would never, ever be in a position or stay somewhere that would compromise my personal life or my family's life. But there is a God in heaven who has commanded us to do his word. And a lot of times when you're doing his word, you're having to call those things that be not as though they were. And the environment that you're in is contrary to what you're saying. Now, we had people who left. People came up here, actually. Valdosta got all kind of, got a little text from Pastor Mark. Man, Valdosta uh, is turning into Anchor Face St. Augustine. And there's no problem with that. You need to be where God wants you to be. But for me, he said stay. My oldest son and family came to the house. My daughter-in-law's mother came to the house, who's not born again. And it was a great opportunity to show her peace in a storm. And so I prayed. Now, I didn't watch movies and eat popcorn and lay around and say, whatever's going to happen, happen, God, you're in control. No, he authorized me to speak. So I was praying, praying, and I would watch the weather. And as much as they were saying how we all going to die and how bad it's going to be, I couldn't listen to that. I had to hear God. God said, tell it to stay east, and it will. And I continued to say that. And every time they had adjusted east, I would testify about it. Then I got the weight of other people. Pastor, what are you going to do? You need to follow peace. I'm staying. If you need to go, go. But I sent some people stayed because I did. And that started putting pressure. Man, what if they all die and their kids die and you stay alive? And now all of a sudden you're the one who said stay because you stayed and they died and it's your fault. The devil talked to you. Why? Because he wants you to abandon. He wants you to abandon what he knows can stop him. It's called the anointing. We don't have this power in the natural. It comes from God. But I stood. I spoke. 
I said, I told my wife, I said, I won't be going to sleep tonight. I will stay up and pray. And I did. I prayed till two, till three, three thirty in the morning, laid down for a couple hours and then got back up. And the only reason I laid down is because I got the next weather update. It was further east. And now they began to say, it's not going to come to land. My wife posted something the other day. It said, Hurricane Matthew stays east of the state of Florida. A few miles west would have been greater destruction. I know exactly what would have happened if we wouldn't have answered the call to prayer. I know exactly what would have happened if not two or three would have came together and the anointing came and stood off. I had two people testify specifically that they saw an angel standing and and holding their arm out, their right arm out, like this towards the storm. You understand, angels exist, and people can see them. It can manifest. I don't doubt that. Why? Because we gave authority. We had authority. We operated in it. We all came together. And I'm telling you right now, the state of Florida is not in near a bad sh- as bad shape as it would have been. Now, you don't have to believe that if you don't want to, but I know it's true. And on the day of the judgment seat of Christ, you'll find out when we get a reward for that action. I know God did that. I know he did. Why? Because we came together corporately. So with this, Second Kings chapter 4. Now, just write that down because I'm going to deal with just the chapter in general. I want us to understand that this anointing is operating in the church. This is the, the context of a widow woman whose husband dies, and she has two sons. They had a lot of debt, and so she comes to the man of God, the prophet. His name's Elisha, and says to Elisha, listen, my husband was a God-fearing man. He loved God, but unfortunately he left us in debt, and now that he's passed away, the creditors have come to take my sons, put them in in slavery to pay for the debt. What do I do? Elisha looks at her. Now, I'm telling you right now, most people would, would hate Elisha, but Elisha said to her, he didn't go, oh, poor pitiful lady, I'm so sorry. What can I, let me take up an offering. Let me see what we can do, raise some money for you. Let's see if I can go over to the church and see if I can get something. He didn't do any of that. You know what he said to her? He says, what do you have? Okay, listen, maybe you didn't understand. My husband died. I'm an emotional wreck right now. And, and the creditors come to take my boys into slavery. And we have debt that I can't pay. And you want to talk to me about what I have? I mean, CNN would blast this person. You hear what I'm saying? But he heard God. He says, what do you have? She says, well, I have some oil. I have some oil. Oil represents the anointing. I have a little oil. All you got to do is have a little. If you'll just yield to a little anointing. I said, if you'll just yield to a little anointing, then something big can take place. When he heard that, he, in essence, he said, well, that's enough. He said, now, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go to your neighbors and get some vessels. And don't get a few. Get a lot of them. Take them into the house with your sons. Shut the door. And now I want you to pour. She began to pour out the oil, and it filled all these vessels until there was no more to fill up. She come flying out and saw excited, you understand, and tells the man of God what happened. He said, now go sell it. Pay the debt. She sells, pays the debt, and still has leftovers, and they live on the leftovers. I saw something today I never saw before. I hope you're ready for this because you actually are here tonight.
There was an anointing that came into the temple that Solomon built. It's called the glory of God. The day he dedicated it, it was so thick. It was the thickest, the thickest it, was, it ever had been at that inauguration service. And those who were inside got it. Today, we're called the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are an earthen vessel filled with the anointing of a God. But notice the vessels that she went and got that were empty were somewhere. And no anointing happened where they were. They had to come to the same place. They had to come and collect upon the same place. They had to get in the same room. See, if she would have went to the neighbors and took what little bit she had and started pouring it into that one vessel, then all it would have gotten was what was in the little vessel in a bigger vessel, and that would have been it. But something happened when two or more got together. Something happened when all those vessels actually got in the same room. And there became a declaration that this is not what's on the outside. What was that declaration? We shut the door off to the world, and now what's in is in. And what's in has the ability to receive what's about to flow. We want God to empower us, yet we want to stay a vessel outside the church. We want God to bless our plans, answer our prayers, do things for us, but never get in the same room with the other vessels. And we're working off this little something. He says, what do you got? I only have this. That's great, but what? guess what Guess what happened when you get some more vessels around? That have the purpose... To receive. See, if you came tonight, this whole conference we're going, if you come tonight, if anything, maybe I'm just getting you jacked for tomorrow night. Because I'm telling you right now, if you've been listening to your pastor about expectation, tonight you came as a vessel, maybe empty, but I got a little bit of oil I want to pour into you. Because there's this corporate anointing that if you would come and say, I'm the empty vessel, what little bit you may be given tonight, pour it into me. And I'm telling you, as it begins to pour and hits on you and gets in you and gets in you and gets in you and gets in you, not only will it fill us all up, but it will cause us to overflow that we have to leave this place, pour ourselves into somebody else, change their lives. This is what the church is. We're joint. Listen, let me close with this verse. Ephesians chapter 4. Look at what it says here. This is what we're talking about. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipment of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure and stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. God wants us to get full of his anointing. That's why Jesus, he sat in the temple and he pulls out uh, um, the, of Isaiah's writing. And we read it in Luke chapter 4, 18. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me. 
In fact, he tells his disciples, once he breathes on them to receive the Holy Ghost, now don't go give yourself away until the anointing comes. Isaiah 10 says it's the anointing. It's the yoke-destroying, burden-removing power of God. Don't go talk to anyone. Don't be a witness yet. Don't even go out till he comes and he overflows you. He comes upon you. And they all met in the upper room together. And if you weren't in the upper room, you didn't get filled. Then they had to come out and pour themselves out. I don't want to receive a splashing from someone who came in and got full. I want to get full and splash my life on somebody. This is why a lot of times we're running to places and trying to get something. Why? Because we are actually getting connected to a source that every Sunday that door opens. You can come in here with every other vessel, begin to lift your voice and pray, begin to expect the anointing of God to pour fresh on you. And you get so full of God that when you leave, your life splashes on somebody else. Your life brings provision to someone. reason why the church isn't doing as great of a job is because we have one vessel in a room by itself doing a thousand and missing out on another eight thousand. When your pastor came to my house, he's probably 20 pounds thinner than he is now. That's hard to believe, but most likely true. He had Coke bottle, the bottoms of, you know, old Coke bottle, glass Coke bottles with black, you know, lenses around. I mean, they were this thick. His eyes were this big and his head was this small. He was so white that I could see the purple veins in his body. I'm serious. I had met him one time at the youth ministry in Oklahoma, but it was kind of dark in that space, and he was wearing a hat, and I probably didn't talk to him a whole lot, so when he showed up, I didn't even realize, who, I'm like, who is this guy I just agreed to live at my house? Is he well? <laughs> Pastor Marcus brags on him, so I was expecting something big and awesome, and I'm like, what in the world? I mean, I was perplexed. But I learned something from my daddy. His name's God. He says, I don't look at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. And I set him down. I said, so what do you think you're going to do? He said, one day I, I believe I'll pastor. I said, well, good, good. I said, I'll do everything I can to mentor you. And I was always in my heart. I said, what do you think about Texas? Because he's from Texas. Okay, great. Great. So all the while he's working outside the church, all the while he messes up a little bit, we get him back on course, all the while that he decided I'm going to actually leave this whole thing, go back to Texas, and Pastor Marcus says, what are you going to do with your life? And he says, well, that was a dumb decision. He stays and perseveres. Then we bring him on with the church, and he becomes our children's pastor. He gets married, and this whole thing begins to flourish. And then this church gets in a time of transition. I come and pastor it for nine short months, and about three months in, the Lord speaks to me and says, Pastor Mark's going to pastor this church. I went to him. I said, did God tell you to go to Texas? 
things? Well, no, I, I guess not. I mean, I've just always thought I'd go back. But the day before, the Lord had already told him, Pastor's going to ask you to take uh, Anchor Bay Church of Valdosta. And you're to take it. You're to take it. And he did. It's a process. But here's the thing. He was a vessel that always came to the church. And every time we got in the same room, what little bit I had, man, I just began to pour. I'm no superstar minister that you're going to see on TV or whatever the case may be, you know, and all these superstar stuff. I'm just a guy who loves God, and I just want to do my part, and I just want to empower others to do theirs. Because I realize if I pour myself out on Him with what I have, then it would be bigger in Him than what it was from me. And when He gets up here every Sunday and Wednesday, what little He has is enough to fill everyone in this room to where you all together are more than He could ever be by Himself. Because there's a corporate anointing that wants to start operating in cities all around our nation and the world to where the glory of God's showing up and people come in on your parking lot and you're out there parking them and they're getting healed when they come out. Why? Because the anointing's so strong. Because you're hungry. Because you're drawing. See, you got to be a vessel that comes every time going, here I am, fill me up. Because there's many that are vessels that got a lid on got a lid on. They don't realize they dry. They got a lid on. Take it off. Take the lid off. Let God pour into you. But you'll never get a greater measure all by yourself. And if there's something that this church has done in five years, stay consistent and persistent. And these two people here, I know, along with others, I can look at them. Jimmy, man, he was with my youth ministry when I was in Stark, Florida. I knew him when he was 16 years old. That was 30 years ago for me. Over 30 years ago. And I poured a little bit of oil on him. And he's here today going to Kingdom Institute. Gosh, man. Changing something. It's worth it. Your life's worth it. You've got somebody to pour into. Somebody's waiting for you to come around them and show them God. And multiply an effect. I just read an article about Tim Tebow, man, doing the old, you know, baseball deal, you know, because they won't give him a shot in the NFL. And there's a guy who had a seizure, and he went over there, just laid hands on him, prayed for him, and he woke up. And the lady tweeted and said, my gosh, I'm telling you to be more. If we will yield ourselves to come, receive, grow, and desire this corporate anointing to no longer try to be a pinky by ourselves or an elbow by ourselves or a shoulder by ourselves, but say, I got to come together. I got to allow the pastor to pour that oil out in all of us so that all of us together get way more than we could ever get by ourselves. And then let's go change this community. Tonight... This is what I saw in my spirit. If you feel empty and you need a touch from God, then I want to do a simple thing. I just want to lay hands on you. That's all. 
I just want to be a vessel because the laying on of hands and anointing can come. Through the laying on of the hands, people who can't, who's never been baptized in the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in tongues can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues. Which, guys, is not weird. It's just the language of the kingdom. That's all this is. This is kingdom. The kingdom has a language. just like uh, Nicaragua has a language. It's Spanish. I go down there and I don't run around freaking out thinking everybody's up the devil because they don't talk like me. No, it's their nation's tongue. The kingdom of heaven has a tongue that the devil doesn't understand. It's called praying in the spirit. Glory to God. And you can receive that through a simple laying on of hands, which means there's an anointing that takes place. That you get filled up, full, overflowing, and you speak with other tongues. You know what else an anointing can do? It can heal your body from being sick. Lay hands on the sick and they shout. Laying hands on people can get demons out of their bodies. Yeah. But laying hands can also refill you when you've been empty. And give you a fresh anointing. Because God's not done with you. God's not done with you. God's, God's got 